The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. And welcome once again to a came from the radio for show of the Big Apple Con. This is your host Mark Torres speaking. Uh, this week's show is going to be a very different show. It's going to be a plethora or plethora of uh, interviews from um, our very own Dominic uh, Definish Mansbrano will be doing interviews from the Soprano Con, and our senior correspondent Charlie Saladino will be doing interviews from the Li Who and Unearthly Convention. Uh, but before we do any of that, we have to take away with the non news. Uh, the non-news is brought to you in part by you fine folks of the Big Apple Conda, which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 23, 45 years maybe, of uh, comic book stuff and pop culture. And this, for more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. Their next convention will be on April 4th and 5th. And their headliners are none other than the original Green Ranger, Jason David Frank, and none other than a big-time artist and uh, one of the DC head honchos, uh, Jim Lee. And also, I want to do the shout-outs for our Patreons, of which there are Danny Grillo, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Two Sentence Horror, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous Dresden Media, Unjikun, and Shadow Rabbit Art. Also, I want to give a special non-Patreon shout-out, so a Patreon shout-out to Greg Iosa. Um, so with that, we're going to take our break, and we'll just take away with the interviews. Hey, this is Brimstone, and you're listening to my boys on It Came From The Radio. This is Charlie Saladino from It Came From The Radio. I'm here live at L.I. Who, an unearthly convention, and I'm here with the very lovely Daphne Ashbrook, uh, who was in the Doctor Who movie. You played Janice Holloway, Dr. Janice Holloway? Grace. Grace? Grace Holloway, yeah. Grace, uh, Grace Holloway. Why did I say Janice? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Let's move on. I love you. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, my God. I love that accent. I'm getting very New York, you know. You know. Yeah, I know. Hey, you got a problem with that? Yeah. But, uh, Forget about it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, what do you think of this madness? You've been here before, I know. You're sitting at the table with the gentleman you were in the movie at. Yes. Let's pull him again. I'll tell you, it's always a joy. And I know that sounds like something everybody says, but I mean it. I, every time I come here, I feel like I'm home. I feel like my friends are here. I feel like uh, lots of love and lots of character. I love New York. I love New Yorkers and uh, Long Island and all of that. <laughs> but no, it's always really wonderful to come back here. It, uh, everybody's so sweet and interesting and full of great stories and just incredibly entertaining and fun and makes me feel good. I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody at this convention. Are you amazed the way we embrace Doctor Who over here? Yeah, I used to kind of be... Uh 
amazed at the turnout, you know, uh, because I just wasn't aware of it as much as I am now. Now it's sort of like I I expect it, especially when it's just a Doctor Who convention and there's no, it's not one of those big, huge things that has every sci-fi show represented. Um, when it's just a Doctor Who thing, I, I, everybody shows up and everybody has a great time and I see lots of the same people and it's just... It, it really is consistently well attended and um, absolute fun all the way. Now, I know from the movie you are an amazing actress. Tell us what you've been doing. I've been doing a lot of writing. Um, I've done some direction. Um, and I just uh, moved across the country, so I am actually a New Yorker now. So that's been kind of consuming everything. I've, literally a week ago I moved in, so... <laughs> <laughs> I got to go home and uh, unpack boxes and um, heat my house up because it's cold outside. <laughs> are you in Manhattan or are you in uh, the boroughs? I'm in upstate uh, Catskills. Nice, nice, nice. We had a place up there in Calicoon. It was uh, yep. 40 minutes from Monticello. It's beautiful up there. It really is beautiful, and that's why I chose that area. It's also not far from where my daughter is. She's in the cities, so. I get to see her and my brother and and then just be surrounded by the most beautiful land ever. Oh my god. And the main thing you get to breathe fresh air. <laughs> fresh air, got a stream, got big trees all around, pine trees. It's it's third day in my house, I got a snow a little snow dusting, it was beautiful. I expect you to do very creative stuff up there because it's the place to do it. It's a perfect place to write, it's quiet and and um, and that and I feel very inspired, surrounded by all that beauty. So it's it's a perfect spot, and I really got lucky. So, yeah, I'll be concentrating on, on writing a lot. So let our fans know where they can see you, where they can know what's coming up in your world, where they can get in touch with you. Right now, I don't have any plans after this event. I don't have any plans on any public events or any shows that I know. I, I mean, there are reruns of stuff I've done forever, but uh, I never know when those are coming up. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of going to dive into getting my house put together. And, and once that's all done and the holidays are over, I'll probably settle down and start the book I've been thinking of doing. And, and all I'll say, it's one of the Bronte sisters, and um, so I'm excited to to dive into that. Beautiful. Well, Daphne, we're going to be watching for that. And we want you to call us when uh, you need to promo your stuff. I will do. All right. So, uh, anyway, thank you so much for talking with us and uh, wish you success and uh, just enjoy that beautiful house. Thank you so much for your delight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. This is Charlie Saladino from It Came From The Radio, live at L.I. Who, an unearthly convention. We'll be right back. Me Grimlock having fun on It Came From The Radio. Me Greg Berger also. This is Charlie Saladino from It Came From The Radio. I am at 
live at the LI Hukon, which is an unearthly convention this year. And uh, I am here, and believe me, I am thrilled to be here with Louise Jameson. She was one of my favorite Doctor Who co-stars. When I started watching Doctor Who, she was there, and I fell in love with her, and I'm still in love with her. So everybody, meet Louise Jameson. How are you? Very well. How are you? I'm a little slice of heaven now. So tell me, what do you think of all this? I think this particular convention is one of the best because it's large enough not to be inhibiting and it's small enough so that I get to speak to every single person here. About 500, I think, through the doors on the day. And everybody seems to know everybody else. Ken Deep has organized the whole thing. And, you know, his manner is so calm and quiet and gentle and uh, complimentary to everybody. I've watched him shake hands with all the staff. He's so grateful for everybody's assistance. And I think that kind of... Um, that kind of centered, uh, passionate, caring about the show filters its way through the whole event. So let me ask you this question. All of our Doctor Who fans out there will want to know what was what was the experience like, especially working with Tom Baker and everything. What was the experience like for you? Well, I hate to disappoint here, but I my time in Doctor Who wasn't the happiest. Now I'm incredibly grateful for it and all the big Finnish audio follow-ups and meeting all the fans. I feel very privileged to have been part of the show. But back in the day, it's no secret, Tom didn't really want me in the show. He didn't want Leela in the show. And that kind of filtered its way into not wanting me there either. But we've since become incredibly good friends and, you know, the atmosphere is all long gone now. But I didn't stay in it for too long because I, it just wasn't the happiest time for me. But you were there. <laughs> but I was there. I was there and I was at the BBC at a very iconic time and, uh, you know, the casts were lovely and some of the scripts were fantastic. Um, it's just that that rehearsal period was tricky. And you could tell how, like I said, America embraced this uh, this series 50 years and uh, luckily um, they found out how much we loved it and they started bringing all the episodes over. Um, what uh, what do you do besides uh, that is, are you still acting? Oh yes, definitely. This year, do you want to know what I've done this year? I was in an episode of Doctors, which is a lunchtime soap. I did a run in the West End uh, called Vincent River, for which I got nominated Best Actress. I did some episodes of Silent Witness. I don't know if that comes over here, where I was somebody who looked as if they'd committed suicide, but had they? Uh, I've done a pilot for a sitcom, and up to last Wednesday, I was performing in Macbeth. <laughs> so that's been my year. Yes, I still act is the short answer. <laughs> well, they, I want to. I want all our fans to know. What? I also spent the summer filming Secret Life of Boys for CBBC. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, but that's important. Um, I want all our fans to know where they could see you, where they can get in touch with you. Do you have social media? I have a I have a website that's run by my very good friend Matt Evenden, and he passes every message that's sent that's sent there. If it's if it's not rude. <laughs> 
it finds its way to me uh, and I will definitely answer at some point so please feel free to email me okay I want everybody to go to that website um, louisejameson.com we I was gonna let you say <laughs> but anyway say it again just so they know louisejameson.com so I am I want you to know I thank you so much for this interview um, it is a thrill for me to be like sitting next to the very lovely and beautiful Louise Jameson and uh, again thank you so much for the interview thank you very much this is Charlie Saladino from LI Geek and uh, I will be right back hi guys this is Xenia Seberg who played Zev on the show Lex and you're listening to it came from the radio this is Charlie Saladino from It Came From The Radio, live at the L.I. Who Convention, or as we're calling it this year, an unearthly convention. So I'm here with two amazing authors. Uh, we are David J. Howe and Samantha Lee Howe, and uh, they have some fabulous books out, and we're going to talk to them now. Uh, first question, guys, is it just a wild coincidence that you're at the same table with the last name how um, not not really uh, we are actually married um, uh, bizarrely we met through a literary convention about all oh, 12 years yeah. ago now and um, and basically we, we we decided we liked each other and then then got together and then got married so um, yeah uh, we're husband and wife and we write and edit and publish and all sorts of things so yeah it's we're having so, a lot of fun here so I can tell by your accents you're not from Brooklyn uh, where are you from guys uh, well, I'm from Manchester originally, born and bred. And David, you are from? I'm from London, um, South London originally. Um, we currently live in Lincolnshire in England, um, which is why we sound so completely different from all <laughs> you lovely people over in, in this part of the world. Um, but we, we love Long Island. Um, we've, we've been here several times now, haven't we? We have. And, um, we love it here. And Kenny Deep, who organises the event, he always puts on a really, really good show. It's very friendly. All the people are so lovely. Um, and we always have a whale of a time. Um, usually the weather's a bit better than it is. It's a pouring with rain today. It's not very good. But yesterday it was clear, bright, blue skies, crisp, lovely, beautiful weather. And of course, uh, this time of year, we're, we're going towards the end of November now, perhaps a little bit later, but all the trees are changing colour and the leaves are falling, and it's just beautiful. It's one of the here. things we love about Long Island. Yeah, it's beautiful. You place. know, seeing the autumn. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I live in I live in a little place called St. James. If you ever get a chance to visit St. James, it's a beautiful place. It's some place you would love. Yeah. It's uh, Smithtown, north of Smithtown, Long Island. <laughs> but anyway, that's anyway. for later. Let's get back to you guys. Yeah. Um, uh, first question I have is, um, first of all, tell us, we're, we're going to start with David. Tell us about your books that are out. Okay, fantastic. So we're, the things that we're promoting at this event um, is a bit of a long story. I'll try and do a short version. Um, way back in 2004, I wrote a screenplay um, for a, a sort of an unofficial Doctor Who spin-off called Deimos Rising um, for a friend of mine, Keith Barnfather, who runs Real Time Pictures. Um, and the film came out. It was uh, moderately successful. Um, fantastic stuff. And so this year, um, because we were uh, various other things, we decided to do a novelization of that screenplay. Um, so I wrote it, expanded it from the original screenplay that I'd written, had a lot of fun doing it. Um, so we've got that book here called Damos Rising. Um, and then this year as well, Keith has produced another drama 
called Sill and the Devil Seeds of Arador. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, and that stars Nabil Shaban as this slug creature from 80s Doctor Who. Um, and that film has literally just come out and written by Philip Martin, um, who created Sill and wrote the original Doctor Who stories. And Philip's also written the novelisation for us. So we have the novelisation of Sill and the Devil Seeds of Arador um, at the event as well. So we've got two fabulous novelizations. We've done them in retro kind of stylings. Um, they seem to be getting down very well. So I'm very, very pleased about that. Um, and both have been published through Telos Publishing, um, which is my publishing company. Um, so yeah, we've had a lot of fun. And Sam, you've got uh, several things? Yeah, um, I have, uh, under the name Sam Stone, which is my horror and fantasy uh, genre work, I write vampire fiction, uh, steampunk, uh, science fiction and fantasy, and uh, supernatural thrillers. And um, I've recently changed genre and name, and I've gone, I'm now going under my married name as Samantha Lee Howe, uh, for my new um, mainstream thriller that comes out next year with HarperCollins which is called The Stranger in Our Bed. It's a domestic noir psychological thriller. So that's me. Nice. Now, let me ask uh, the two of you questions as husband and wife. Um, in your house, imagine you have two separate writing rooms. We do indeed. Um, I'm very strange. I like to write on my bed. <laughs> so I'm very. it's very peaceful for me. Um, you must go through a thousand bed sheets. <laughs> well. I know. You like to write while you're in bed, I got you. Yeah. She, she, she can't be bothered to get up in the morning. No, I just don't get up. Because she gets so focused that getting up in the morning means thinking about doing the dishes or cleaning the house. Or Absolutely. Whatever. And so she thinks, I'll just stay in bed and I'll just write all day. And I'll go, David, get me a drink. Yeah, get me a drink. Get me a that's, crumpet. That's get, me, get me some food. Yeah. Um, whereas I've got a little office in the house and my computer is and I tend to write down in the office. And yeah. But when, like, you think about it, I guess in bed you'd be more relaxed and, and that would be like a little more creative. I am. I am most definitely. And part of the problem is, like David said, if, if I come out of the room and go downstairs, I get distracted and then we get the writer's procrastination kicking in where I suddenly feel I need to clean the house or fill the dishwasher or do the washing. Um, and so I try and focus that all for one. Well, we do the dishwasher between us throughout the day, but um, I try not to be distracted. Certainly the first part of the day, because that's a really crucial time for me for writing. I have to get in the right zone first thing in the morning then I can stop and start and go off and do other things but I, I'm always up for getting back to it then so. now I'm gonna ask a, uh, a question may cause a little fight here but um, when one of you write a book uh, does the other one read it and critique it Mm. Oh yes, yeah. um, David um, is very often the only person that sees my books for the first time. Um, there's only one that you haven't that my agent saw first, isn't they? And that's that's strange. Uh, but yes, I I'd like to hear his opinion because he's one of the best editors in the business. So I'm always very you know very glad to hear what he thinks of it. Mm. And the same. For yeah, and when I wrote Sunday Must Rising, yeah, I gave it to Sam uh, immediately afterwards. I mean, one of the things with writings that's quite strange is that you you, you get very close to the work, um, and you genuinely cannot tell if what you've done is good, bad, indifferent. You, you can't see the problems. So you give it to somebody who's a good writer in her own right, like Sam, and immediately she can go through and she can say, yep, that's really good, actually. Um, and Sam says that she doesn't believe her work is any good until I've told her it is. I don't. And I kind of feel, I kind of feel the same as well, that you, know, you, you don't feel as though that was good until Sam's come back. And I was so pleased when she yeah. came back on Deimos yeah. and said, yeah, that's really good, David, actually, you've done a good job. So, so we tend to great. edit each other. Yeah, we, had to teach and we do edit each other, yeah. which works really well. Yeah. 
Because you always have little typos in the books and always little stuff that you've got wrong or, you know, fat fingers and you, you type the wrong word or the is H-T-E, you know. It always happens and um, so it's, it's worth having someone else do a pass just to try and weed everything out um, as you go. And it's really ha helpful as well, really helpful. It is, because we're both honest with each other as well. So if, um, if, if it, David will not let me drop the ball mm. and I won't let him drop the ball. So if there's anything there that I feel that, you know, he isn't quite doing as good or I'm not no. doing as good, then we tell each no. other and we're honest. And, and it, it's great because it helps you to do a better yeah. job of it. And that, you mm. know, a writing is a very solitary pursuit. However, once you've written a novel, it does become very collaborative because you do then pass it on to agents and editors and you have other people's feedback. And based on that, you know, hopefully then you get, you produce the best work that you can and it goes before it goes to print. So, so now, writing a book, you're, you're exclusive to your own books. Um, did, did Sam ever give you an idea that you put in a book and did uh, Dave give you an idea that you put in your book? I, th I think that kind of thing almost naturally happens all the time. Um, there, there was there was one short story, which a short horror story that Sam was commissioned to write, and she'd written half of it. Um, and then I think there was some kind of collision of stuff, and you just couldn't couldn't get to finish it. It wasn't to be done. So I said, "Well, I'll, I'll finish it for you." Um, so I basically picked it up from where she'd left it off, and I kind of just carried it on, and I actually finished it. And then we both went back and edited it to make yeah, it sort of all right. seamless and stuff. So that all worked um, really well. Um, I tend to not write very much. Um, I, I was saying run, running Telos Publishing, um, we've got a lot of books coming out by other people that I'm editing and reading and editing and so through. So I don't often get a chance to actually write fiction. That's why Damos Rising was such fun for me, um, to actually just sit and write something myself. Um, whereas Sam, she edits, but she's also writing an awful lot of stuff. And I think over the years, I, I tend to be a good sounding board for her, and um, she'll throw things at me, and I'll go, well, how about if we... If, what if you twisted that? What, what if you made that character female that's male, or that character male that's female? Or, well, how about if that was going on here, really? And, and what would that do to the narrative? Sometimes she'll be like, yeah, but that's not right for this book, it's not quite going to work. Other times she'll go, oh, actually, you know, that's not a bad idea, that's really good. Um, and then there's other books like the Cat Lightfoot ones that you yeah, did. Yeah, the Cat Lightfoot. Um, David actually gave me the first title for the very first Cat Lightfoot series one, which was called Zombies at Tiffany's. And, and <laughs> it was one of those days when he just got out of the shower, actually, and he said to me, you know, why don't you write something like uh, Pride and Prejudice and, and Zombies was just being promoted? And I said, I don't, want to, I don't want to take someone else's work and stick zombies in it. It's not my thing. And he said, well, you know, do something like Zombies at Tiffany's. And that was it. There was a little light bulb that yeah. went on him over my head. And the story... You wrote it in about two yeah, weeks. Yeah, I wrote it in two weeks. Um, and basically it became... It's a short novel of 50,000 words. And basically it became a an original story on its own. It, is, it has homages to the Truman Capote novel, obviously, in the film. Um, and some of my characters, for example, my main male character is called George Pepper, after George Peppard. I just want you to know, <laughs> I just want you to know, I love that name. <laughs> I love the name. And it seems to me that you, you're like the Lennon and McCartney of authors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, we have a lot of fun with the, uh, the Cat Lightfoot books, because as Sam said, they're all original books, yeah. original stories, but each one we kind of riff on something else that's going on. Well, we've got one that's called What's Dead Pussycat? 
<laughs> rather than what's new pussycat. And I was singing what's dead pussycat all the way through right now. You've got to get Tom to sing what did pussycat. Whoa, you got it. So that, and, uh, that was fun. And the second one is called Cat and a Hot Tin Airship. Um, yeah. And, you know, I do, again, pay homage to Tennessee Williams because yeah. I'm very well read as well. And, and then we had um, Ten Little Demons. Yeah. <laughs> Which right, is, you know, Indians, obviously, the and then they went on. And um, we've also got uh, Cat and the Pendulum. <laughs> <laughs> But they all riff on, on something and cat homages. And green gables. And, no, yeah. cat and green tentacles, like that. that one is. So, oh my God, that is, I'm, I'm loving the <laughs> so, we, so we have a lot, of fun, a lot of fun with the books and, and stuff like that. But yeah, we, we often share ideas and swap things about and yeah, we do. twist and turn. Uh, I mean, Sam's also got a thing in her own fiction that she's, she's never happy. If she knows where the book's going or how it's going to end, She's not going to do that. She she always wants to go somewhere. So if she she thinks, oh I hate no, predictability. So some of the books. Really which, which was the book that wouldn't end? That was Cat and a Hot Tin Airship. Yeah. And that that became it's supposed to be a novella, so it should have been under forty thousand words. It ended up being fifty five. Um, and that was because I started writing this story about um, a family on a plantation. It's actually a very intense demon story, but it is also a thriller, uh, but supernatural. And it just, it, I kept getting to these points in the story where I knew something was going to be revealed. And I was like, oh, but if I go that way, then no, I know where that's going. So I'd take it another way where I didn't know where it was going. Then I'd go and clean the house and think about it and write myself back out of the corner I just put myself in. So we had yeah. twists and turns all the way through, but I, I did call it the book that wouldn't the end. The book that wouldn't end because you kept changing <laughs> because your mind about how Because it kept making twists it. happen at the end. <laughs> but I had such fun writing it and, and everybody said that they could not guess the ending so I was yeah. happy with that so it seems to me like you write it the way you want to read it yes, yes. definitely yeah. I I am the worst critic of, of other people's fiction and I love watching thrillers and horror and but I always guess the end yeah. I'm, there's very very little that surprises me and you, so you can't watch you can't watch television with her or a film because you know, five minutes in she'll be going do you know I think he did it and I go how do you know and we watch it and indeed it was that person that did it and it's like how did you know that after I five minutes I just knew it was the way it's just, the flow of the narrative you. I, yeah. I can't even say how what moment it is no. when I, I just go hey, that's the one yeah. that's the one I, I, say, I, I tend to do it on a more lo logistic way with television, in that if you suddenly have someone who's the janitor comes out with a load of dialogue, you kind of go, hang on, why have they given that unknown janitor a lot? Why are they paying more for him to speak? <laughs> yeah. This has got to be important here. So, and it's usually you find that therefore the janitor did it kind of thing, because there's no other reason why they've been giving him all this dialogue and focus. So. Oh my God, you, uh, it's been so enjoyable talking to you both. Um, why don't you get out all your social media where people can get your books and stuff because they look like they're amazing. I'm looking at them now and uh, zombies at Tiffany's. Oh, I mean, that's that's something. But uh, anyway, get out your social media and where people could see these amazing books and get sure. these amazing books. So a lot of the books are available from um, www.telos. That's T-E-L-O-S. Telos.co.uk. So that's our publishing company and we've got a lot of them are available on there and uh, also you can check out there it is www. 
all one word, Samantha Lee, which is L-E-E, how, H-O-W-E, dot co dot U-K. So www.samanthaleehow.co.uk. And that's um, oh, Sam's, that's Sam's homepage. All you my can books find, are on there with links find to all about her thrillers and everything she's doing on there. So yeah. um, you can find everything you want to know there. It's fantastic. So, oh my God, once again, I want to thank the two of you, you very lovely people. Love your accent. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and one question before you go, we go. Um, how do you, uh, how do you think, uh, what do you think of the way America embraced Doctor Who and embraces actually all British shows? We love them. I think it's wonderful and absolutely amazing and I think that when we come over to the American conventions we really feel uh, there's an awful lot of love for us and appreciation for what we do and actually we get the best reception here than than perhaps most of the conventions we, we do in the UK and we do quite a number. We do, we, I mean we, we always say and, and you must find this because obviously you do a lot of these kind of conventions and things, I mean science fiction fancy horror fans are the kind of the best fans in the world, I mean they're well read, they're intelligent, they're, you know they're, they're good people, they're nice people, kind people and they're friendly um, yeah. and so wherever we go in, in the world I mean America particularly um, it's always lovely to meet the fans, meet the people that are actually making all this happen because it's, it's very true, I mean without the viewers, without the readers, without the fans, you've really got no products. Because if there's no audience, then no one's going to make it. And we're so massive, we're massive we're, fans yeah. of the fans. We love ourselves. the fans, yeah. Because so, uh, they make us, you know, without them, we wouldn't be doing yeah, what we're doing. Exactly. So it's very, really they're very important, that. and we love it. And, and so Long Island, who is is tremendous, and it's a great, great convention, and, and we love the area. I love Manhattan as well. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful city. A bit noisy, but it's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> city. Most cities and, are. Uh, well, they, they, yeah. they call it a beautiful noise. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> to quote a Neil Diamond song, yeah. <laughs> that's true, that's yeah. true. Yeah, so it's always always a great pleasure to come back here. Well, David L. Howe, Samantha Lee Howe, two very lovely people. It was such a pleasure interviewing you. Check their uh, websites out, check their books out. They look amazing, and I am sure they are amazing and uh, fun to read, and uh, you're going to love them. Brilliant. All right, so uh, guys, thank you again. Thank you thank very you much, so Charlie. Charlie. Thank you, thank your, you. your staff. Thank you. This is Charlie Saladino live from LI Who, an unearthly convention. And uh, we'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Downey, Stanley Tweedle from the TV series Lex, and you're listening to It Came From Radio. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. Hey guys, want to impress everyone at your next party? Shock them all with a custom cake. Anything goes. Classic wedding cakes to wild party themes. Follow my social media for weekly videos and photos. We're a Long Island-based cake shop. Custom Cakes by Christy Incorporated. K-R-I-S-T-Y. Call or text anytime. 631 Six zero six eight one six six. Now back to our show. Okay, I am with Diana Lynn, the original Bada Bing dancer. Diana, how you doing today at Sopranos Con? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So, I'm looking at a picture of you upside down on a pole. Yes. How? Uh, 
I was a gymnast when I was a kid, and uh, I grew up to learn how to use a pole facing the other way, basically. <laughs> Fair enough. I did not have any lessons to do that. You, did you take any, like, lessons in no, strip aerobics? No, they didn't have that when I started dancing 25 years ago. No? They didn't so you, have that. That's a new thing. So you just made it up I'm as you went? I'm a self-taught uh, exotic dancer. Now, people don't really... How hard is it to do this? Um... Well, it's dangerous is the worst part, and if there was a girl that was up there before you that was had a lotion on or oil, it's very dangerous. But if you're strong enough, you can figure it out and do it. Yeah, I do it very easily, but teaching somebody else is not as easy. Oh, yeah. Did you recently see uh, J-Lo's movie Hustlers? I did not. Uh, I was wanting to see if you critiqued the, the dancing in that. because I, they I, I know. I could have given them some good tips. You definitely could have. Like, yes. We had seen it. The amount of athleticism I don't think gets its due. Yeah, Before. a lot of them don't do it anymore because they're more twerkers, and right. I'm not really like the butt shaker. I mean, I shake my butt, but not the way they do it. I do it a little differently. <laughs> yeah. My version. Fair enough. Right? What exactly are your tips to say? Because you're in fantastic shape. So, what tips would you give? I am a vegetarian my, my whole life. Um, I'm a dancer a couple nights a week, uh, an exotic dancer, obviously, on a pole. So lots of wiggling, climbing a pole, crawling around. And then if it's slow, then I actually work out. I do push-ups at random times. Like, I actually make some good money doing like push-ups in front of people. People really, really think that's like a great thing. I don't know why, but squats, squats on the pole, leg lifts. That's my workout. And I have a farm. Classic. So I actually you pick have a up farm? bales of hay and carry fifty-pound bags of uh, chicken food and pig food. And that's just amazing that you have a farm. That's a great workout, by the way. It throws your back out, but yeah, seriously. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Um, they can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, 76DianaLynn, or Diana Lynn Band Candy, because I actually interview celebrities, and uh, so I have like a whole bunch of different random ones that I've done between rock stars, actors, like you name it, I've, I've, I've got a lot of them. All right. I've any today. Fantastic, Diana. It's been an absolute pleasure. Now I can say I met a Bada Bing girl. Thank you. This is great. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Mark, back to you in the studio. Michael McManus. I played Kai on Lex. You're listening to It Came From The Radio. All right, this is your co-host, Dominic Sperano, and with me is Dan Grimaldi. Dan, you're best known for playing? Patsy Parisi and Philly Parisi. I've always wanted to know, what's it like having to play against yourself as a twin? Well, they were two different personalities, and it was fun to create each one of them. And, like, there weren't many scenes where the two of you were together never, as twins. Never. never. So you never had to try and pull it off where, like, you're talking to yourself. No, no. Have no. you ever had to do that in another acting job, though? No, I've never played twins other than in The Sopranos. Oh, now, I think I got it right, but if I'm correct, the story was they killed you off, but they liked you as an actor, and they wanted to bring you back. That's exactly correct, yeah. That's exactly That's correct. That's it. So, like, how, for those who are aspiring actors out there, how can you make a really good impression so they kill you off and bring you back? Do good work. Do good work. That's the key to it. Yep. Yeah, concentrate on your craft. My, I got to tell you, one of my favorite scenes in The Sopranos, especially with you in it, is when you're really pissed off at Tony. You want to kill him, but instead you just pee in his pool. Right, exactly. And I'm sure you get this all the time. Was that David Chase's writing, or did you ad-lib that? You don't have that but anything on The Sopranos. No, everything, everything was, like, was their writing. So when you get that, you read it. Do you go to David Chase like, 
why am I just peeing in this guy's pool? No, it was psychologically, because he was impotent, he couldn't shoot him, so the best he could do was violate his pool. All right, as a pool owner, I can understand the, the, the annoyance. So that was the psychological... That was a psychological payback. Yeah, it, it's something. You got him some way, right. somehow. Right. What are you currently working on? Where will people I'm see I'm working next? on a play called Godless, which is going to go off-Broadway in the spring. Well, how Do you know what the run will be? So No, it's open-ended. It's open-ended. Yeah. Okay. Where can people find you on uh, social media, websites, anything like that? They can't. They can't? No. You're a true good fella. They're not finding you. The no, government can't no, find you nothing. No. <laughs> I like that you live the part. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mark, back to you. This is the amazing question. And you're listening to It Came From The Radio. All right. I am back and I am with... Peter Jimenez Pozo. And Pete, you clearly are in the cigar making business. Well, yes, we're in the cigar manufacturing business. Uh, our family's been doing this in Cuba 100 years, and the last 36 in Newark, New Jersey. And tell me what the key is to like the cigar business, rolling a good cigar. Well, rolling a cigar is never changing how it originated in its genesis. Everything's completely handmade from start to finish. An organic leaf, uh, what do you call it, that's been sitting in barns for five years curing. Mm-hmm. And then you take them, and all the impurities are out. And you turn it into a little recipe for a great cigar smoke. They look and smell delicious. Oh, thank you, thank How you. How many varieties of cigars do you guys offer? Well, uh, we uh, we do uh, 23 varieties of cigars. Uh, all our cigars are aged at least the tobacco, five years, and there's five signature leaves in each cigar. And my mother's the only woman master blender in the entire country. Really? Yes, yes. So this is like in your blood, this is in the family. Well, her, my mother's family was doing this in Cuba 100 years, in the last 36 years in North New Jersey. So we took a Cuban tradition and we made it better. We made it a Cuban-American tradition. Oh, I love the sound of that. Yes, yes. Now, your, or your cigars are rolled in the Cuban tradition, so like no one has to try and go down to Havana to get one. You have a little, a little piece of Cuba right in the heart of Newark, New Jersey, um, by the Prudential Center. We're also in the Prudential Center for all Devil's Games and major concerts for the last 12 seasons. These look fantastic. I can't wait to have one on the ride home. Oh, you're, you're going to get some of my mother's goodies. Oh. You're going to really enjoy them. Hints of cedar, toasted leather, followed by a slight wisp coffee bean. They're absolutely aromatic, but no burn and no aftertaste whatsoever. Really? Yes. Oh, we're going to... Honey, we're going to try one of these on the ride home. Oh, it's going to happen. And uh, legend has it, you share one together, it brings you 10 years of prosperity. Okay, we definitely smoking one on the ride home. Where can people find uh, your company online? Online, you can find us at JimenezTobacco.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram, Jimenez underscore tobacco. Follow us. Uh, we do events, cigar rolling, and everything's all handmade. And remember, the password is Jimenez. Jimenez. Thank you so much, Pete. Oh, my pleasure. Mark, back to you in the studio. Hey, everybody. This is Todd McFarlane of the Record Setting Spawn comic series. And if you're looking for any kind of cool conversation about creators, about entertainment, about all that good stuff, you go to It Came From The Radio. You're listening to the right spot. Take all of me. (laughs) Uh, That musical interlude is brought to you by my first guest, Lola Glodini. Did I say that right? Almost. 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 
Glaudini. Glaudini. But we'll take it. Okay. <laughs> you, be, you think being of half Italian descent, I should be able to say every Italian person's last name correctly? Probably you should. I yeah. should. Yeah. I should work yeah. on it. Coincidentally enough, my last name is Sperano. And oh, when that's the funny. When the show came, everyone oh. messed it up. Right? Oh, when the show came, it was over for me. It was no, there was no good. It was no good. So You should have just changed your name. I should have. I yeah. should have just changed. My uncle actually made a Sperano's t-shirt. in the font of and the Sperano's. Exactly yeah. in the font, and he put himself right where Tony would have been. So I love your uncle. I love my uncle very much, too. So, Lola, what are you best known for at the Sperano? I know, but maybe the audience doesn't. Uh, I played the dual roles of Danielle Ciccolella and Agent Deborah Ciccarone Waltra. And, uh, you know, I was... I was Danie Danielle. I was Adriana's best friend, and as Agent Deborah, I was her worst nightmare. And how did you feel playing an FBI agent? Uh, I was happy for the gig, so you know, <laughs> I, I, I was a fan of the show. So you, I could have been playing Cosette, and I would have been happy. You know. I think you made a very convincing Cosette. Thank you. Definitely prettier than the other person that played Cosette. Well. It did get sat on, so yeah. yeah. That, crawled under <laughs> yeah. for warmth. Yeah. One of the worst excuses. For sitting and killing and smothering a dog yeah. while you're high on heroin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, she's never really seen. This is my lady over here. She's Hi. never seen it. She loves little dogs. We're never going to show her that. She never gets I to have see it. a little dog, and right. um, I have to say, a couple times I've, like, moved over and I think of that scene. You know, right. like, like I'm sitting on the couch and I move a certain way and I hear, you know, and I'm like, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah like the one problem about little dogs, they're yeah. small and yeah. you don't see them all yeah. the time. So when everything wrapped up for you, how did you feel about your run on The Sopranos? Oh, I had a great time. It was terrific. And I loved all the relationships that I made with everyone. Um, and it was just, to be honest, it was just a, a real blessing to be part of something that was such a cultural zeitgeist right. and I recognized it as game changing and it was pretty cool to be a part of that you did an amazing job on Thank the you. show and that look Andrea Mateo's face when she realized you were an FBI agent is your name even Danielle yeah, yeah. it's just like I felt my own yeah. stomach drop when that happened it was like Ooh. Betrayal. Yeah, the absolute betrayal. One of my favorite scenes, though, is when you're getting ready to go out and you're doing yourself all up to look like yeah. one of, And clearly that's not your style, right. like the character style. Yeah. And she's like, I can't believe I got to put on this much makeup, do my hair this big. Did you enjoy having to do the flip side of it, getting to be that clammed out on it? Well, it was shot first. Okay. So the Danielle side of things was really... We shot all of that first, and then we shot the FBI side of things. So that was my initial uh, walk into the show, was okay. as that character. Oh, okay. Now, did you have a preference between... Like, oh, yeah, it was much more fun playing Danielle. Isn't it always? Yeah, it's always more fun playing, like, you know, the bigger character. Right. You know? You know? What are you currently working on that people will be seeing you in? Um, I just finished a film called She's in Portland that I was working on, and I just directed it something, too. So that's really what you I've directed? Been, yeah. Isn't yeah. that every actor's dream? No. No? Nope. No, oh, I thought that's the cl old classic line, but I, I, really, I really want, want to do is direct. direct. Yeah, but I don't think... I know a lot of actors who are like, nah, uh-uh, no. not interested. No, but 
I got the bug. I, I got the bug. Do you think it's... Oh I don't know gosh. what's going on over there. Uh, I'm very routine. afraid. Yeah. My big question, though, is as an actor, do you feel that you have more sympathy when you're directing? Like, being now both sides of it, you may be able to give some better direction because you kind of can relate to what you want that person to do? I think that's just inherent, you know? It's not It's not more or less. It's just inherent of the process of just making art. You're just so aware of what everyone is going through, you know? Would you ever direct again? Oh, in a heartbeat, yeah. In a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a satisfying, good experience oh, yeah, for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun to be able to call the shots. For sure. Literally call the L- shots. Literally yeah. call the shots. Yeah. This is how it's going. Yeah. So social media time. Where can people find you? I only am on Instagram, and it's at Glaudini Lola. So it's at G-L-A-U-D-I-N-I-L-O-L-E. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. These Good are like luck little today. mini mics. You know? I know. Everyone talks about it, but they get the best sound. All right. All right. Mark, back to you. Hey, this is Brimstone. And this is Kim Adragna. And this is Zambo. And we're from the Grindhouse Radio, and uh, we just won the 2017 Best Radio Station on Long Island. Right now, you're listening to the other guys. It came from the radio. All right, here's your co-host, Dominic Sprano, and with me is Ray Abruzzo. Did you I got say it. that correctly? You got it. All right, I feel bad because uh, I got Lola's last name wrong. So. Well, it's pretty easy. You did real well, man. Thank you. Thank you. As uh, being half Italian, I got to try and get the names right. Well, you got half right. of it right. All right. So, Ray, I know what you what you did in The Sopranos, but for those who don't remember, can you refresh the audience? Yeah, I played little Carmine Lupertazzi, who was the uh, son of the New York boss, Carmine Lupertazzi, played by the Tony Lip. Right. Who's the subject of the movie Green Book. I don't know if you've seen Green Book. No, I did not. But that's his real life story. Really? Tony Lip's real life story. So that's a that's another thing. So but the guy that Vigo uh, Vigo was playing, playing him as a young man. Oh that's that's real. Yeah, that's now a, I gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. It's I really, gotta watch it's really and it's an amazing story. Because he wasn't always an actor. He was a, a bouncer at the Copacabana. But now what else do you want to know? Yeah, so I was the son of the New York boss. Right. And my father dies, and I get pulled back up to New York to try to take over the family and see how things go. And I get into a little tiff with Johnny Sack, right. who was my father's lieutenant. And then we have a little struggle for power and blah, blah, blah. Now, do you think you should have won? Well, I think I could have, but I think he decided he wanted to have a, a more normal life. I, think, I he, think that's the wise choice, though. I think he did, because there's that scene with Tony at the golf course right. where my wife says she doesn't want to be the youngest widow on Long Island. I tell Tony that there's more important things than being boss. It's true. Yeah. And I love the scene where you're standing there with a glass of wine, you're looking at the fire, and you're oh. like, I want to let this go. Yeah. People are dying. People this is not dying. worth it. Yeah, he really did have a lot of common sense, even if he didn't always use the right words. Right, that's true. He did yeah. cause some major problems. He did. He did. But he, he had a good heart. He had a good heart. And I probably one of the smartest characters in the show I like think he, so he knew to walk away yeah he's like there's no way that this turns out it's not well. going to be good there's no good there's yeah. no way. what do you think happened to Tony I think Tony went on to live I don't think he died right I think the point was that the audience died right it was the audience point of view when went black so okay that's that's cinema that's what, the way it was shot that's the way I, I see it and I think the idea was life goes on you okay. Know, he's, he's, he was the happiest with his family for the first time ever when he's sitting around. It's one of the happiest times they've right. all been together. That episode is called Made in America, and I think he's just saying life goes on. America is full of this kind of corruption, and uh, that's just the circle of life. That's just, that, you know what? That's pretty wild. I like that take. I'm so even, many people have their fan theories. I know. They want it to be bloody and he's dead, but 
Life yeah, goes on. Life goes on. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure eventually someone gets Tony. We never know. You never but know. Always going to be looking at the door. That's yeah. The point. yeah you're always going to be worried about yeah, it. Yeah. What else are you currently working on, right? Uh, I, I, I have, there's a movie out on uh, iTunes now with Joey Pants. We play brothers in a movie called Feast of the Seven Fishes. Oh, that's awesome. And I have a movie coming out with Hugh Jackman and Alice and Jenny called Bad Education. Oh, yeah? And I play Alice and Jenny's uh, husband in that movie. Okay. And then there's another little movie called Elsewhere with Parker Posey and Bo Bridges and Ken Jong and myself, uh, Jackie Weaver. That's called Elsewhere. I don't know when that's coming out. But You're keeping wonderfully busy. I'm trying. I do a lot of theater, too. I try to do a play a year. That's amazing. You're an actor's actor. I am. I hope so. Where can people find you online? Uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Just look up Ray and Bruce. All right. Thank you so much. My really pleasure. appreciate it. Thank Back you. to you, Mark. Hi, this is Sue Lee from Face Off Season 2. You're listening to It Came From The Radio. All right, so here I am with Matt Servito, Agent Dwight Harris from The Sopranos. And I got to tell you, I just watched you interact with some fans. You're like a fan of fans. Well, I mean, as I said, I you know, this is 20 years in the making. I mean, well, not 20 years. I mean, the show ended in 2007, but... There just hasn't been this many fans of the show in one place at one time, and I'm yeah. overwhelmed by the passion, the love. I mean, I've been almost in tears a few times. I think Jimmy being gone kind of also adds a little touch of... Uh, that know. wall of him oh, it's is amazing. amazing. And, and so, it, it, I, I said, I feel like this is the first time we've all been together since Jimmy died, and, it, you know, and it's such a positive reason to come together. And, and the show deserves this, the fans deserve this, and the cast deserves this. this is, we are all more excited about tonight and all hanging out. I said, yeah. if somebody really wants it, somebody should grab a camera and come film the hotel bar tonight. Oh, this the, is going to be... That's where the real like yeah. stories are going to be I happening. I saw the whole itinerary yeah. of the party, the after party, then the after party, oh, after like, party. Like, are you going to the after after party? I'm like, no. no. I'm so old. There you go. And I said, I, you know, I, I, and we have to be here tomorrow morning. Right. I said, if I go to the after after, I'm going to the afterlife. Yes. Yes, that's how that's I how see far. you're married. Your wife will probably kill you if no, you go to the after wife, after. No, she said, go, I, I'm, I have tonight off. I'm staying in the hotel. Okay. She's got the three kids at home. She's like, no, you go enjoy yourself. Uh, so she knows. She loves these guys. And okay. so she knows for me to have a chance to be with this crew, uh, even for one night and, and tomorrow as well, and just hang out and really hug, talk, reminisce, talk about Jimmy, talk about the show. How are you? How are your kids? This is awesome. This is now, truly awesome. When you're there, is there going to be a slight segregation? Because you were an FBI agent in the show. Yeah, but you got to remember, and that's what's been fun about this today, is I'm realizing the, that my end game played well because right. the fans love me. Everybody's yeah. coming up like, oh man, I loved you. I'm like, you didn't love me so much in season one or two, did you? Right. Even into season three. But then the, the shift in the writing for my character, which came after 9-11. Right. The show Very we were point. shooting at the time and then all of a sudden 9-11 happens. Well, big shift in the writing. Agent Harris is no longer anti... Uh, uh, there are bigger things I, I to no worry about. I no longer organized crime. I'm anti-terrorism. And right. that changed everything. So now Tony and I can be friends I'm looking for yeah. intel. He's looking for intel. I can sit at the pork store and have a sandwich and an espresso and hang out. Right. And all of a sudden, the fans like me. I, I've got my. I've got partners. Mm -hmm. I don't know if everybody remembers. I had a great partner in Mike Kelly. Yeah. The last season, who went on to House of Cards fame. Oh yes, yes, yes. Mike was my partner in the last season. I do love when you get back from Afghanistan and overseas, and yes. you're like, I picked up a tapeworm. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But it's like these Satriali sandwiches might be the cure of it. Yeah. How, may, how bad do you want a sandwich? Did you get a sandwich today? I have not had a sandwich here today. And I got to tell you, you know how many people keep coming up to me, again, with that 
whole situation. I think Christopher said something about I hope it falls out or something like that. But, <laughs> so I had to take a hit. Uh, but yes, the the, the 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 bug that I caught overseas has been a. A, 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 a source of a lot of laughter today. Now, I've been mostly talking to everyone about The Sopranos, and I'm going to wrap up this interview very quickly, but I also loved you in Brotherhood. Oh, man, thank you. I, I loved, and which would you rather be, an FBI agent or a politician? Wow, these days, Because you were a, a clever, maniacal, Machiavellian politician in that show. And what I loved about that show was about local politics, which is yes. really some of the worst politics anywhere. Because right. it's really all the Especially kind of Especially in Rhode Island. Oh, it's my, all exactly. local. You know the Rhode Island. The state yes. is local. Right. It's, yeah. not, it, it's yeah. a 40 minute drive across yeah. the state in any and direction. And the corruption and the, yeah, the backstabbing. It's all Julius Caesar, the whole state. I mean, so, yeah, a lot of betrayal. I, I love that show. And I've gotten a lot of brotherhood love today because, and I've been telling people, you can. Um, you can binge it. You can stream it on Hulu. Right. And uh, I said it's such a good. It's Sopranos, not Sopranos light, because it's heavy, it's like Irish Sopranos. But it's Irish. It's Irish Sopranos. It's Irish mob. Yeah. It was loosely based on Whitey Bulger and his brother. Of course. And initially it was going to be shot in Boston, but we couldn't use Boston because they didn't want us. So we took it to Rhode Island, renamed some characters, and I uh, think it was go. smart. Make it loosely about, but yeah, its own rather, story. Yeah, be more indirect, and then we really got the essence of Rhode Island, which was you did. awesome. Because you that did. is such its own idiosyncratic kind of. It's place. like the last nation state on earth. I hate that the truth, man. It really is. It is. It is like you know, leave us alone. We do. We have our own way here. Everything. And it's and it's you know and and it is the small enough that you could say, oh, you're from Rhode Island. Do you know Jimmy? And they oh, do. Jimmy from Federal Hill. I know Jimmy. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I and really they gave us carte blanche in regards to locations. We shot everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, I'm not leaving. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, easy. You easy. That's Lola Glaudini. She's <laughs> mean. She's being very mean to me. What I think that they was got, also my partner for a while. Yeah. What I think they got really right in that show is the triad of the cop, the criminal, the politician. Yes. They they perfectly got that. Even though the cop wasn't one of the brothers. He was practically their brother. Yeah. They really got what the Irish mob and what the Irish did in terms of in the country. He went one of three ways for yeah. many, many years. Right. And that and that and really there's no difference between the three. That's right. kind of the point. The cop, the criminal, and the politician, all interconnected. All Absolutely. corrupt, all love each other, are very tight with their families, and all trying to make the best way in the world. And then like you know, like yeah. you said, that really was captured in that show. I love that show. Fantastic. Where can people see you now? What are you working on right now? I'm recurring now? on Billions. Uh, we, we, oh, uh, I love play Billions. Buffalo Bob Sweeney, the governor of the state of New York, as of last season. Um, I forgot your. I love you on Billions. Thank too. you so much. Thank you. And I'm uh, yeah, I'm back working with Paul uh, starting this week on season five. So uh, keep him busy. That's fantastic. Where can people find you online? Uh, I am on uh, Twitter at Matt Servito. I'm on Facebook at Matt Servito, and I am on Instagram as Matt Servito. So it's no mystery. Matt, thank you so much. You it's bet, been a brother. Pleasure interviewing you. Thanks for having today. me. Back to you, Mark. This is Quentin Flynn, a popular voice actor known for Axel, Tamon, uh, and Raiden from the Metal Gear series. And you're listening to It Came from the Radio. Stick around. Now, back to our show. So that about does it for this week on It Came From The Radio. Join us right here and every week on this radio station. If you missed any part of this show... Tough! 
go to our website www.itcamefromtheradio.com listen to the archives will be up any week or so like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter on Instagram uh, check us out on Beyond the Dawn Studios and we will see you next week you've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres the views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management owners or staff of the station we now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast <laughs>